There never seems to have been so many needs. And what are advertised as good causes in which people are encouraged uh, to give towards those needs in some cases have been exaggerated due to the war that is current in Ukraine. I read a little article just a couple of days ago where it stated that the head of the African Union has told Putin that the countries in Africa are suffering and they're in grave danger of famine if the cereals and the fertilizers are not permitted to be exported from the Ukrainian ports. There are other reasons, of course, why there are many causes in these days, not least, I believe, gambling and the lottery. And that has taken money away uh, from uh, the causes that have been presented and the charities that have been presented before people. Of course, there are the pressing needs closer to home. There's the plague of child abuse and sexual perverts that seek to have their wicked way. And many are the innocent victims that have fallen prey to them. And when in a few cases that the offender is brought to justice, then there are the many questions that people are led to ask. How could these things happen? Who has failed? And there are some who will quickly arrive at the conclusion that this whole world is in a chaotic state. But there's one question that is prone to rise above them all. It's a question especially in the minds of those who are either Bible skeptics or God deniers or even from those who have a little knowledge and men and women, a little knowledge of anything is dangerous, especially of the Scriptures. But the question that comes to mind is this, who is in control? Who is ruling over the affairs of this world? That's a far cry from the praise that King David offers to the Lord God upon the occasion here of the offerings being brought in and given toward the building of the temple. Solomon, his son, would build this great temple. There were precious stones and silver and gold arrayed for that temple. And as David looked around, he could only see how the hearts of the people had been touched. Because we've read it even in this passage a couple of three, three times over. They offered willingly. They offered willingly to the Lord. And you know as he looked around and as he saw that. He can only look upward and praise and adoration to his God. And what we have here is a very solemn address of David unto the congregation. Remember, he now is an aged man. He's near the end of his life. And it is upon the great subject of sovereignty. As I bring you to my text in the words of verse 11. For he says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Let me go into verse 12 as well. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. I want you to just consider with me tonight sovereignty. Sovereignty defined. The subject of the sovereignty 
of God must be stated was at one time an expression that was generally understood. It is a phrase which is commonly found in the religious literature and in spiritual books of a bygone age. And that is the case because here is a subject which would have been often preached upon and expounded upon in the pulpit. It was a truth which brought comfort to many hearts and stability to many a child of God. But today to make mention of God's sovereignty may cause many to think that we're speaking in some unknown tongue. Or even worse, it may cause people to switch off and to say, well, this has nothing to do with my life. And men and women, that would be a serious mistake on the part of the hearer. For here is something which is at the very foundation of our faith. And so as to grasp something of that which is worthy of our attention more than just one message, then we must at the outset define what we are dealing with. Now the word sovereign is not altogether strange to us. In fact, especially concerning the festivities of the last number of days, our Queen, the head of state of the Commonwealth, the present incumbent of the Buckingham Palace, is often referred to as our sovereign. And that leads us to correctly define what the word means. When we speak of sovereignty, we're dealing with one who's in control. One who is in charge. The queen is ruler over her kingdom. She's the power to rule over her subjects. But what must be stated and qualified in that is, of course, that the power of the human monarch is at the very least diminished, and certainly it is delegated. And that is why the Queen is rarely seen these days or nowadays to prevent bills becoming law in this land. The power to do such, yes, she has it, but the power to do such has been delegated to her government and she merely signs them off to become law. But when we speak of the sovereignty of God, that's where the comparison ceases. We are not speaking about one whose power is diminished and neither are we certainly speaking about one who delegates his power unto others but instead we're speaking of one who is in control, who is in charge over all things and you see that's what David is alluding to in verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in thine in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. To state that God is sovereign is to acknowledge and it is to declare that he is the most high who does according to the counsel of his own will. And old Nebuchadnezzar, that king who was brought low uh, to the place where he was like the beasts in the field, he was to acknowledge that he ruleth over all. He understood that. He was brought to recognize that. To state God is sovereign is to state that he is almighty. He is the possessor of heaven and earth and none can thwart his plans or his purposes. None can defeat his counsels. None can resist his will. It is God who has the power to set up kingdoms. It's God who has the power to overthrow empires. It's God who determines the course that any plan or purpose may take. And I seek to underline that to your heart tonight. 
That God's will is something which cannot be bound and it cannot be fettered. There's none that can lay claim to being able to change his will. He is God. He knows the end from the beginning. And surely that is evident if you consider the words that you'll find in Isaiah 46. Maybe you'll turn there and see it for yourself in the words of verse chapter 46 of Isaiah verse 9. Just listen to this. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Unless you consider, uh, just if I can break in there, you consider some of the promises of God from the Old Testament concerning Israel. They have been made from ancient times. They're not yet done, but they will be fulfilled. My counsel shall stand, the Lord says. He says in verse 11, Calling a ravenous bird from the east, a man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Is that not the language of one who is in control over all things, whose counsel shall stand, who can call one from the far country as he did with Abram? Abram that was brought from the earth of the Chaldees, not knowing of that inheritance to where he was going, and yet the Lord called him, and he brought him into the, the promised land, onto that land that he would give unto his descendants. When he speaks, it shall come to pass. What he determines, it shall be done according to his good pleasure. Let me ask tonight, is that the concept that you have of Almighty God? of one who is in control because he is the sovereign God. How contrasting it is to how Christendom today views the Lord. It seems that the God of today is some helpless, effeminate being who commands the respect of really very few. The God of many a present-day pulpit is an object of pity rather than of awe-inspiring reverence. There are those who are quick to suggest that when things go terribly wrong, that the blame is the devil. But to simply conclude that is to suggest the devil is defeating the purpose of God. And if the devil defeats the purpose of God, he's become almighty. And God is no longer the superior being. And the very people who are quick to suggest that are the very ones who deny what in fact proceeds from the heart of man. Mark chapter 7 tells us, verse 21, let me read it to you. It says, for from within the Lord's teaching here. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. How little, how few will point the finger at the sin of man because of things happening today. Oh, it's the devil. I know the devil is behind sin. He's the author of sin. 
But men and women, let's not exalt the devil above the Lord. He's not in control. And the sovereignty of God is absolute. It is irreversible. It is infinite. When we say that God is sovereign, we affirm the right, his right to govern the universe, which he has made for his glory, just as he pleases. And that means he is the right of the potter over the clay. That he may mold that clay into whatsoever form he chooses, fashion out out of the same lump a vessel unto honor, another unto dishonor. Don't we read Romans chapter 9, in the words of verse 20? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing form say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? There's men today and they raise their fist and they think they're, they're the potter. They raise their fist into the face of Almighty God. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Oh, I think the picture is very clear. The Lord is sovereign. That is the God whom we worship tonight. That is the God whom this book reveals to us tonight. He always has been in one in control and he always shall be. In simple terms, that means there's nothing that takes God by surprise. Even what are termed the so-called accidents, they're known, they're permitted to happen by God. They're unknown to us. There's things that will surprise us, but not the Lord. He's sovereign. Can I prove that to you? Let me bring you to Amos chapter 3. I'm going to give you a couple of verses. And it just proves what I've stated already. Amos chapter 3 that little book following the book of Joel and Hosea, and says in the words of verse 6, Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? The trumpet, of course, in those days was the sound of war or the, or the warning for war. And he says, Shall there be evil? Shall there be trouble, affliction in a city and the Lord hath not done it? He's sovereign. There's his plan and his purpose. We have seen it, I believe, in our little study in the morning time where we're looking at the book of uh, uh, Exodus and the life of Moses. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 11 says this, The Lord said unto him, that is unto Moses, Who hath made the man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And you bring it right into the very personal earthly ministry of the Savior. For we read this in John 6 and verse 70. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? The Lord knew Judas Iscariot would be a, among the very closest to him for that time of earthly ministry. Because he knew he would be the one that would betray him into the hands of evil and wicked men. 
His face, you see, was set to go toward Calvary. And it would not be frustrated. And the Lord knew nothing took him by surprise, not even the betrayal of Judas. I've chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. Judas was never saved. I wonder, are you among the company of God's people tonight? And maybe people look upon you, and you're saved, and you go to church, but you're not saved at all. The Lord knows your heart. And to bring it even closer to ourselves, it is God who alone knows the times of one's death. For it is God who has set the bounds. He has determined them upon every man's life. It is the Lord who holds the keys of hell and of death. And Job understood that. Job 14 in the words of verse 5. Seeing his days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Doesn't many, how, many, matter how many surgeons will be around you. And the day of that appointment. And the day where that line is determined you'll cross over. None will be able to prevent it. Because it is already decreed, that bound by the sovereign God. You see, men and women, it's important that we have a right view of who God really is. It's important that we're able to discern that he is the one who is sovereign over all things. They're sovereignty defined. But then you'll notice sovereignty debated. You look at our nation, or any nation for that matter, you consider the iniquitous bills and laws that are being brought into being. You look at our towns and cities and what is seen as confusion and sin being rampant. Lawlessness abounds. Like the scriptures declare, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. It seems that everything today is out of joint including the very earth's surface. As the earthquakes are found here, there, and yonder in divers places, there are the falling thrones. There is the t tumbling dominions of men. There are nations in revolt. There is the unrest and the discontent and strife that is everywhere. And all these things only but give rise to the debate. Who is in control? And to add injury to insult, it seems that after so much gospel preaching in our province that Christ is being despised and he's being rejected. And if that is a summing up in someone's mind tonight, the way things are and the way things are going, then they will infer that the devil has gained the upper hand and that God is to be pitied rather than worshipped. But to tackle that issue, then there must be consideration given to the possibilities. And there are only two possibilities. There are only two alternatives. God must either rule or be ruled. God must hold sway or be swayed. God must accomplish his will, his own will, or be thwarted by his creatures. It is either God is in control and he is sovereign, or else the devil is in charge. But in accepting the fact that he is the Most High, as King David acknowledges, the only King of Kings, vested with perfect wisdom and power and glory and honor, and the conclusion therefore is irresistible that he must be God in his ways, he must be God in his workings, as in his name. He must be sovereign. 
And men and women, that is what must be sounded forth. It is that our God still lives. Our God still observes. Our God still reigns. He is the one who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. All things are subject to his immediate control. All things are moving in accord with his eternal purpose and plan. And therefore, all things, Romans chapter 8 and 29, are working together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It must be so, for of him and through him and to to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And for the correct view of the sovereignty of God to be arrived at, there must be therefore the adoption of the principle that is found in the Word of God. You see, where the problem, where the mistake is made in our society and reasoning today is that it begins with man. And there's a seeking to be working back up to God. And when that is done, everything will seem to indicate that God has no connection with the world or what happens in it. But where we must begin, where the biblical principle is, is with God himself. We begin with God and we work ourselves down to man. And therefore, because God is holy, that means his anger burns against sin. And Numbers 23 and 23 says, or 32, sure, I should have said, and 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Because God is a holy God. And don't think because if I'm uh, preaching to someone tonight uh, yet in their sin, don't think because God hasn't dealt with you speedily that he has turned a blind eye to it. God is not as man. And we read in Ecclesiastes 8 in the words of verse 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And they're men and they think they've got away with it. And so they go on, they run on in their sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. Why? Because God is holy. Because God is a righteous God, then his judgments will fall upon those who rebel against him. Because God is faithful, then the solemn warnings that are found in his word will be fulfilled. The plain truth of the matter is that if the people of God walk by sight, then problems will arise where the sovereignty of God is concerned. But if in accordance to what the scriptures teach, that we seek to walk by faith, then we will readily acknowledge that oftentimes God's ways are past finding out. After all, he has stated, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It reinforces to us, does it not, the importance of giving heed to the word of God. And where there's a misunderstanding in any of these matters, it's because man has set aside the word of God. He set aside his truth. And that's why such a subject like this is debated. Who's in control? I want you to note tonight the sovereignty demonstrated 
The sovereignty of God is something which is found throughout the Scriptures. And this is bringing really, in closing, what we have already considered, the defining of what it means and all the debating around whose control. Let's bring it down into where it's demonstrated. And we don't have to go any further than the work of creation that is spoken about in the book of Genesis. God did not have to create anything. But he did it all in the space of six days and all was very good. The sole reason for his creation, we read in Revelation 4, and the words of verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. It was for God's sovereign pleasure. The psalmist acknowledges this. He states in Psalm 135 and 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleaseth, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the sea and all the deep places. In the great expanse that stretches before Genesis 1 and 1. And I know that's hard for us to take in because we are only dust of the earth. Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Before that, the universe was unborn and creation was only in the mind of God, the creator. But listen to me, even then, God was sovereign. He could have created one million worlds or he could have created one world. He could have created a million different creatures, endowing them with the same faculties, placing them in the same environment. Or he could have created a million creatures, everyone different from the other, with their own instincts and nothing in common. But the hand of the great creator having fashioned them. And maybe there's some of the young people in there interested in the creation of animals and all of the rest and how they're all distinctly different, their colorings, their backgrounds, their, 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 their ways, their, their lifespan. And God, the Creator, fashioned them. There's no one to object to God's will and His sovereign plan. It was God's sovereign right to create the angels that surround the throne of God as it was to create the tiniest of creatures whose lifespan is infinitely short. And that's even before we get to Genesis 1 and 1. Who was it that made the birds different and the fishes in the sea? It is as David states in this verse, the greatness of our God and of His power. Turn your eyes heavenward. See the sovereignty of God in creating the sun the moon and the stars. First Corinthians chapter 15. There's an interesting little verse in there in this great chapter of the resurrection. Verse 41, it simply says, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. And the scientists are all rejoicing that they've found maybe another star they've never seen before. 
And God has named them everyone. And they're all different. Why did he make them different? Why did he give more glory to the Son? The only possible answer for thy pleasure they are and were created. But his sovereignty, not only is it demonstrated in creation, it is also demonstrated in his power. His power is exercised when he wills, where he wills, how he wills. When Pharaoh dared to prevent Israel from leaving Egypt to worship God in the wilderness, it was then that God's power was exercised. As his people were delivered and the oppressors were drowned in the Red Sea, never to be seen again. And the same can be thought upon when the nation eventually entered into Canaan. They crossed over the river Jordan. The first city that had to be conquered was Jericho. And how God commanded them to walk around the walls of the city. And the great walls of that city, Jericho, were to fall down without Israel laying a hand to it. There's the sovereignty of God's power. But understand this, that miracle was never repeated. The other places, the other cities had to fall by them battling against them, by them capturing them. No other city fell after the manner of Jericho. The same could be said of David as he faced Goliath. God's sovereign power was demonstrated there. As a mere slip of a teenage boy with his stone was to be fired from his sling and down fell the Philistine giant. The same can be said of his power in that lion's den in which Daniel was placed in. How God shut the mouths of those lions. And when the new morning came, they fed upon the servants of the king that had put Daniel in the den. It wasn't that they weren't hungry the night before. It's God's sovereign power that shut their mouths. But why was the power of God not seen on other occasions? The record states in Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith, that many were stoned, many were sawn asunder, tempted and slain by the sword. Why did God allow Stephen to be stoned to death while Peter was delivered from the prison cell? We can only write over those words the sovereign plan of an all-powerful God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than ours. Or the words of Matthew 11 and 26, Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in thy sight. Men and women, God's power is demonstrated in his creation, in his power, but you know it's demonstrated in his mercy. That's where God shows mercy and pity to the wretched and to those who are undeserving. It was the mercy of God that he sent his Son to walk amongst men. An undeserving world did not merit the incarnate Christ. And if I make reference to John chapter 5 and what we read there of how the Lord in his mercy was to show toward the man that was at the pool of Bethesda. John 5 and verse 3 reminds us that there was a multitude there of impotent folk and they were waiting for the waters to be moved. And yet it was to this one man in particular that the mercy of God was shown. And he heard those words, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. There's the sovereignty of God in mercy. How true the words of Romans chapter 9 and verse 18. Therefore hath he mercy in whom he will have mercy. 
and whom he will, he hardeneth. And dear soul, is the mercy and grace of God, of a sovereign God, that you're hearing the way of God's salvation, that you're even sitting under the word of life tonight. God will be just to leave the ungodly go their own way and one day end up in a lost eternity. But in his sovereign plan and mercy, he has put blockades in your road. He has put blockades in the way. And the greatest blockade to you going to lost eternity is Calvary. And the preaching of the cross to your soul. For the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Dear loved one, you're brought afresh to the cross. You see the grace and the mercy of God. He gave his only begotten son. He gave Christ to die as a sinner's substitute, to bear the punishment in his own body for the sin of your sin and mine, the judgment that you and I should have borne, the lost eternity in hell that we should have gone to. But Christ has paid it all. There's the grace and sovereignty of God in mercy. But what have you done with Christ? He has put that blockade in your road. Dear loved one, tonight without God's salvation, I wonder, will you not bow the knee? Will you not fall down in adoration before the one who alone can save you? For if you reject his offer of mercy, then you will see his power demonstrated on that awful day of judgment where he casts every Christ rejecter into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. And therefore I plead with you to flee from the wrath of God that is to come. To flee from the wrath to the holy God that David writes about here. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, our exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great. And to give strength unto all. And you can know God's great salvation tonight through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ for thank God we're still in the day of God's grace I wonder will you come and turn and be saved you turn to the Lord tonight leave this meeting house knowing your sins have been many but they're washed away neath the precious blood and you can leave this house tonight knowing that the God of the Bible the God of the scriptures is my God and he's been merciful to my soul. May the Lord bless his word even to our hearts tonight.